Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats and dogs. The human-animal bond is what this show is all about, finding authors and experts to talk about cats, dogs, and the many other creatures who share our world. This is listener-supported WLIW-FM, Long Island's only NPR station in Southampton, serving Eastern Long Island and Southern Connecticut over the air at 88.3 and at 96.9 in Western Suffolk. This is where I originated this show and have never missed a week for 14 years. At RadioPetLady.com, there's a podcast library with more than 750 episodes along with my other Pet Talk podcast shows. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media, Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. This show is made possible with the support of Dr. Elsie's Precious Cat, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian in Colorado, where he created a variety of litters as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also brought to you by Waruva, the Foreman family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. My guests today are Mallory Curley from Muddy Paw Rescue, which is a foster-based rescue in Hell's Kitchen, New York City. Kim Brophy will be here talking about her new video series, The Dog's Truth to help people understand the underlying truth about who their dog is. And Tom Sharp will be here, who is part of the AKC Reunite Adopt a Canine Cop program, which has matched funds to raise millions of dollars to buy dogs for police departments across the country. I am so glad to meet in person part of the Muddy Paws Rescue in Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan, which I'd heard about. And I thought, how muddy do the paws get in Hell's Kitchen? Probably not as muddy as they do in Vermont, where my dogs are. But Muddy Paws Rescue was part of the wonderful Subaru Loves Pets, Loves the Community at the auto show. So Mallory Curley, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to meet part of the team Muddy Paws Rescue that is obviously doing an insanely successful job at finding homes for thousands of dogs. Are there are these dogs all Hell's Kitchen-based animals, or that just happens to be the headquarters of your foster-based rescue? Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, so happy to be here with you today. Um, so, yes, Muddy Paws, our package queue is in Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan, but we are foster-based. So all of our dogs live um, basically all across the city, the boroughs, and even outside the city, out on Long Island, New Jersey, Westchester, um, and so, no, they're not all based in Hell's Kitchen. And, um, you know, it's not that muddy there. Usually the mud comes from Central Park. <laughs> well, here's, here's what's amazing to me. Astounding is the only word I can really say. So a woman, Rachel, has this idea. I like to rescue dogs or I want to rescue one dog or three dogs. And that was 2016. Now, it's six years later, two years of which have, were COVID lockdown. So I don't know how you even survived that. And somehow you've put into new homes 6,000 dogs? 
And you yeah. have fosters all across the entire New York area. How did you how do you do that? How did she do that? Where do you find these fosters, people that are willing to open their dog door to a dog that will never be theirs, probably, unless it's a failed foster, just to get be the jumping off point for that dog to find a new life. How do you find these people? Mm. So there's a lot to unpack there. But yes, Rachel started Muddy Paws Rescue in 2016, and she had a goal of saving maybe 300 dogs that year. And she blew past that and ended up saving more than 700 in that first year alone. So Rachel has just taken Muddy Paws, you know, from a completely volunteer run um, organization, literally out of her living room to now we have our HQ and health kitchen, like we talked about, and thousands of fosters um, that are part of our Muddy Paws pack. And our fosters really come from all over, but the thing that they all have in common is they just want to help, right? And so just like every other rescue during the pandemic, we saw a huge boom in people who were interested in fostering. Um, and a lot of those people have stayed on, but we're seeing a lot of fall off right now. So while we still have a good amount of fosters, we really need more because people are going back to work, they're traveling, um, they're doing all the things that we haven't been able to do for the past few years. And so fostering a dog isn't kind of high on their priority list anymore. Now that that um, allure and the sparkle has kind of yeah. poured off for people. Um, but we still have so many amazing fosters and ones that have been with us from the beginning. We've had, you know, fosters who have been with us since 2016, 2017. We have some fosters who have fostered more than 80 dogs for us. Wow. Um, so our fosters are just super dedicated and they're really the crux of our entire organization because we wouldn't be able to do what we do without our fosters because we are completely foster based with no physical shelter. Which is which seems to be a business model if we want to look at it that way of some of of some rescues and I'm just always agog at how you find and then retain these fosters who maybe you provide them with food for the dog. I don't even know if you do or not. I mean that would seem very complicated. But they're feeding these dogs and they're looking after their medical needs and they're describing their behavioral issues and trying to maybe improve them if they need improvement while taking emails and phone calls from prospective adopters. I mean, that's a huge commitment on the part of your fosters and yet people want to do it. And I don't. there's just kind of a completely altruistic goodness to it that always never fails to astonish me. i to all of the fosters who are part of Muddy Paws Rescue, you people are amazing. It's Thank so cool you. that Mallory and Rachel and the other people running it can organize you and find you and support you in what you're doing and help with transport and stuff. But wow, it's really quite amazing. All individual, little individual angels who make up a foster-based rescue. What, what you brought up an interesting point, which I guess in a certain amount of cynicism had, had been raised during COVID, a, very, a variety of people wanting to adopt dogs who'd never had dogs or never been able to have them and adopting during COVID. And then in theory, maybe not being the best pet parents now that COVID is winding down or whatever it's doing, COVID is sort of mysterious, but certainly people are more out and about. Or people wanting to foster in the same way, oh, this can be a temporary arrangement. It's funny because where were those people before? It's still a big commitment. Was it just that they were super lonely and isolated? If, in fact, they I mean, came to you out of the blue, let's say, and then have said, thanks, but no thanks, I'm done with that because now I want to go to the bar or something. 
Yeah, I mean, we definitely, I mean, we've existed since 2016, right? So we definitely have fosters and it's easy to do and it's, it's um, something that anyone can do if you have a full-time job, if you work out of the house, if you have children, if you right. have another job. Right. You know, we at foster, you can make fostering work and it is a commitment, but we only ask for two to three weeks. So oh, really? we want a dog to, you know, oh. come in to stay with a foster for those two to three weeks. Um, it can even be shorter. If you take in an adult dog, they're ready to go after a couple of days and they could get adopted within one week. Wow. Um, but we provide our fosters with everything that they need to be successful. So we can give you crates. We can give you food. We give you toys. We give you shampoo wow. to give your dog a bath when they get off transport. We give you toys. Um, we give wow. you discount codes to amazing partners that support our work. Um, we really, we never want anything really to be a barrier to stop someone right. from fostering. <clears throat> so if foster comes in, they've never had a dog before. That's great. We also set our fosters up with a foster buddy. So these are volunteers that have um, fostered for us numerous times. They're kind of our foster pros and they're accessible to our fosters all day, every day, whenever they My need God. help. So if a foster is like, Hmm, this like scratch looks funny on my dog's nose, you know, send a picture right, to your foster right. buddy. They check in with us. They give you guidance. My foster doesn't like the crate. Your foster buddy will help you. Um, so there is, you know, training involved, of course, but we really just want to make people aware that if you foster and with any organization, but especially with Muddy Paws, that we want you to succeed and we want this to be a positive experience, but you'll do it again. Yes. If you keep your dog and you fall in love, that's okay. It happens. But goodbye is the goal. Nice. And we want you to have a great experience fostering, find that dog a home, and then take in another one. And right, because really, because know, if they become what what is in the industry, I call it an industry, you know, <laughs> lowercase i, if people were to all fall in love with their foster, you'd lose all your fosters because now their dog bed would be filled forever by the dog that they that they kept, right? So that's a failed foster. I think goodbye being the goal is charming. I'm very surprised by a week to two weeks to three weeks being the length of time you hear about people, I don't know, hear about whatever that means, fostering for months. And that, I mean, not with happens. you, not with you, but I mean, yeah. it means that you're very good at Choosing dogs who eventually will be adoptable, you're you're trying to, to make good decisions because there are millions of dogs or hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands. You can only take so many. You want to get the ones that have a good shot at getting a home, right? Right. I mean, so yes, we do have fosters that are longer term than the three weeks um, and that's okay and we'll support them, you know, throughout that whole journey. <clears throat> but the average, our average length of stay is about two to three weeks. And in terms of taking in dogs that are highly adoptable, we take in the ones that need help, right? So we take in the dogs from our shelter partners in Kentucky, Georgia and Alabama, and also New York City's ACC. And all of those dogs, you know, are, are adoptable, right? And so yes. it's not, we don't pick and choose the cutest. We don't take the puppies and leave the moms. We don't pick the fluffiest ones. Right. Um, we don't pick the youngest ones. We have a ton of senior dogs right oh, now. Oh, nice. And so Muddy Paws, you know, we know, we, we know that every dog deserves a family. These dogs were loved at one point. They can be loved again. And that's why our fosters are so great because they remind these dogs, like, look, this is what it's like to be loved. Oh. This is what it's like to live in a home. Oh. And I know that I can find you your forever home. Just stick with me and I'll stick with you. And together we'll make this happen. Oh, that's so sweet. That's really lovely. There is that that moment of the dog thinking, oh, this is what a warm dog bed feels like. 
I mean, if they came from Kentucky and Georgia and they were truly strays, they probably never had a warm bed. But at animal care and control in New York City, a lot of those dogs probably had a loving home at some point. And because of all the vagaries of human life, they've wound up in the, the city shelter, which used to be a horrific place and now has been marvelously improved by a lot of incredible volunteers. I mean, it's really improved. But I think that that rescues like yours who draw from animal care and control in New York City, which takes from all the boroughs, you're the ones who relieve the pressure on the staff there. You're the ones who empty out those cages so that others can come in because otherwise it's a, you know, it's a, a one way, a one way ticket to nowhere for the dogs. So it's yeah, quite incredible. Thank you. And we're really proud to partner with New York City ACC um, and the shelters that we work with down south as well are also the municipal shelters, the open intake shelters. Yes. And we really want to encourage people to, I mean, we would love to not exist, right? So if yes. dogs end up at the, cell, at the shelter, first of all, they have um, efforts and programs in place to keep dogs and cats in their homes. So they don't want to take in your dog That's if they right. don't have to. They will give you resources and work with you to try to do everything they can to help you keep your pet because they know that you love your pet. If the pet comes into them, yes, we are there to help pull. Um, but we, you know, we want people to consider adopting straight from there. So if you nice. go straight to the Good shelter for you. to adopt, you know, do that. We would love that. We're here when ACC needs us to pull dogs out. We, um, our niche has kind of been recently these seniors from ACC. So we've That's taken so great. in some older pity mixes, um, some little dogs that are like 14 years old. Wow, that's great. Yeah, we're happy to do that with them. Um, but yes, they're amazing. Their staff and volunteers are spectacular. And um, we're proud to partner with them and all of the municipal shelters. And they're the ones that really need the support. They do need the support. But we have to all admit the reality that going to a municipal shelter, whether it's not spruced up or it is spruced up, is disturbing and depressing to a lot of us. We hear a lot of chaotic barking often. Some of the dogs are highly stressed because they've been in those cages and haven't gotten much exercise and very little personal attention just by the reality of the situation. And you see how many need you. And it's really, I find that people are emotionally frightened to go into the shelters because it's so Oh, my God, it's the old, I wish I could take them all. Well, we know that's not realistic. So even if you take one, there's almost a guilt factor. But what about the ones I left behind? Somehow a Muddy Paws rescue that scoops them up and then puts them in a cheerful home with a cheerful person, it feels better, you know, just selfishly to the person adopting. Oh, I'm taking this one old 14-year-old poodle mix from Mallory's home on Staten Island, for example, it's very, it, it's just more contained emotionally for people. Do you know what I mean? I think that's why you've been so successful, that in a city with so many people and so many animal lovers and a lot of apartments that do allow dogs, it's, it's, it's daunting to think of going to the municipal shelter. You just expect the worst, like going to a, a scary, depressing prison for humans. Do you know what I mean? Oh, well, we hope that's not the case. I mean, ACC does an amazing job with all of their dogs, and we hope that any situation or rescue that you hope to adopt from is always a positive experience. We have um, our adoption events occur on Saturdays, and we have our adoption van out there with the pups um, on the van and then out on leash with our volunteers. And we have a lot of dogs, too, so we recognize people can't take them all, and we'll have, you know, say 30, 40 dogs um, at an event at any given time. So, 
um, there's always going to be that decision factor. And, oh, I wish I could take them all. Um, but what people need to know is that, A, if you foster, then those dogs don't end up in the shelters. That's right. We can pull them out of there. So the more fosters that we have fostering with us or even for ACC, they take fosters. People can foster for ACC directly as well. Um, it's just more lives that we can save. And it's the more animals we can keep out of the shelter because they don't want to be there anymore than we want them there. And just supporting, you know, all of the rescues and adopting and just making adoption your choice when choosing to bring a pet into your home. But I will I will say again that I'm not saying ACC or the shelters in Kentucky or Georgia aren't doing the very best they can. Overstressed workers, you know, staff is just always pushed to the maximum, always in those shelters. But it is often for the people coming to adopt complicated emotionally. So even mm-hmm. you having the dogs in the van, they know that each of those dogs on the end of that leash, if they take they take Sammy, but they don't take Kirby, uh, Kirby's going home with somebody tonight and sleeping on a nice dog bed. So it's just, it you know, it may just be window dressing concept, but mm-hmm. I think it's a really important thing that you're doing. And it's very yeah. important for people to feel really comfortable in adopting. I will say there are also rescues that make You've you've talked about making fostering so easy with no challenges, no barriers. Adoption is very complicated for people these days. Some of the rescues are really harsh in their expectations, their rules. You can't be out of your house for more than eight hours. You have to have a fenced yard. You have to do this or that or feed this food or not that. It's it's can be very unpleasant and very challenging, degrading, humiliating offensive. I will just say that. So it seems to me like Muddy Paws Rescue is, does not have those kind of attitudes, which is important. So there you are in New York City and on Long Island. I hope people will go to Muddy Paws Rescue and just have a look at the dogs you have who are available. And if you aren't ready to make a permanent decision or or the dog of your dreams doesn't seem to be there right now, go eeny, meeny, miny, mo and foster one of them, Right. <laughs> or maybe the ones up there already are fostered, but just give it a try. I, I just think, you know, there people think, oh, rescue's a feel-good situation for everyone. Mallory, it's not. It's hard for people to be accepted as adopters and something that the rescue community doesn't really always understand if some of their brethren are tougher than they are on a potential adopter. So go to muddypawsrescue.com, see the great work, all these people are doing all these thousands of fosters and wonderful staff. Mallory Curley, thank you for being here. I look forward to hearing that you're up to 7,000 sometime soon. Thank you so much for all your good work. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I would encourage folks to just go to our website, moddypawsrescue.org and learn about our adoption process because what you just said breaks my heart. And our, our adoption process is super accessible, simple, easy, um, and Wonderful. we are not one of those rescues. <laughs> I knew you weren't. That's why I was able to say all those things. I could just tell. I didn't know it for a fact, but I could just tell from the way you treat your fosters. That's how you treat your Thank adopters. You. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Bye-bye. Sure. This show is brought to you in part by Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, where they are still making natural pet food. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and to the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. This show is also supported by Cradle, calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. 
I am delighted to have Kim Brophy back on the show. She and I talked about whether you can judge books by their cover and whether the breed of dogs, which was an, a, a study that came out, is going to tell you something or nothing about how they're going to behave. That study said it wasn't going to tell you anything. And Kim Brophy knows better. She's an applied ethologist, a professional dog trainer, and she's created the Family Dog Mediation website that teaches dog trainers I would say, in my opinion, how to be better dog trainers, smarter dog trainers, and more aware dog trainers. But now she has launched Meet Your Dog, which is a most gorgeous online filmed version of the ideas that she's had about the different ways that different types of dogs behave and can be expected to behave. Kim, it was so marvelous watching The Dog's Truth because... It, it told me things with adjectives that you use that I kind of subliminally knew, but never had, no one had really put words to it. So if someone has a sporting dog or a hunting dog, the things that you can expect them to do and the things you can expect them not to do and consider them still their own natural selves and not expect them to come when called if they're chasing, I don't know, the rabbit or whatever it is that they were originally bred to do. I'm sure that your creation of this beautiful video series, which is a series, it's a course, came out of frustration of people trying to turn Border Collies into Chihuahuas, if you will, in terms of lifestyle. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, there's, you know, there's just so much to the story, kind of going back to our conversation that we had last time about the actual study and, um, you know, it, there's there's so many things that are um, a, a very important element contributing to any given dog's behavior, right? And yes. and we as a culture have been told that it's just all how you raise them. And basically, we've homogenized all of this incredible genetic diversity that was so carefully, artificially selected into yes. all the kinds of breeds that we have. And, you know, I think people, of course, tend to be very um, oversimplistic in terms of their assessment of things. And, and that's just a phenomenon. All humans, you know, we, we have the tendency to do that. And we kind of go back and forth both between these polarities of are genes predictive? Do they tell us exactly how the dog's going to behave? Or is it all how you raise them? And of course, it's neither. It's both. It's the interaction of all these things. And you have variation genetically, even within a particular um, group or even within a breed of dogs or even a line of dogs. Of yes. course, there's going to be differences in variation. But um, it is important for people to have a sense of what kinds of things dogs were so carefully bred to exhibit or not exhibit over the course of centuries and millennia, because those things very much can and will pop up in many cases in dogs living in pet home conditions and people might be, you know, beating their head against a wall, wondering what's wrong with the dog. Is my dog broken or did I fail to train it correctly? When the reality is, is that they're just maybe experiencing or witnessing um, the behaviors that were so carefully bred into our dogs. And the real problem is the modern environment and, and the captivity environment being so incompatible with the things that we've bred dogs to do historically. So if we're really going to be compassionate and accept and love them for who they are, we have to accept and love them for all of who they are and, frankly, what we made them to be. That's a really good point. You use the phrase captive animals. It, you you talk. There's you talking during the course. And then fabulous footage. I, I can't even imagine the amount of time, money, and energy it took you to get all this footage of various types of dogs. All of them are each 
each chapter, if you will, of the course focuses on a different, whether it's a toy dog or whether it's a sight hound. And we have now made them captive animals. And, you know, we feel sorry for animals in the zoo. Now we feel less Mm -hmm. sorry for them because now we've extinguished them in the wild. So now they're the last living version in the zoo. It's all so confusing. But we're supposed to feel, if you will, if we're empathetic and species empathetic, really bad for that poor lion behind the plexiglass or the gorilla behind the bars or the giraffe Mm -hmm. who can only walk like two feet in each direction. And we've turned our dogs into the same captive animals. And as you say, in, in in a great part of the dog's truth. But we think we're doing great by them because look, nice place to sleep, nice lunch. Wow, really cute outfit I got them. Hey, mm-hmm. I took them for a walk around the block. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I think that the compassion that comes from watching this, and it's not, although of course each each grouping of dogs are purebred and they're and the breeds are mentioned. And therefore, it's kind of reminiscent of watching a dog show on TV. The difference is mm-hmm. the dog show on TV has hidden messages about how useless that breed of dog would be to live in a small apartment where you're gone 11 hours of the day. But they never Mm -hmm. say that in the dog show. They say, this is a dog Mm -hmm. who really enjoys the outdoors or a dog who is completely untrainable. And in our sense, and you show these fabulous Siberian Huskies and these others, independent dogs, you know, bred for, for, for like from the cave times, to be smart and reliant and bring us dinner and save us from the wolves at the door. And you're told, eh, they're a little strong-minded. No, they actually are not going to want to do what you want them to do. They're built to not want that. They're built to be independent. And you use these mm-hmm. great adjectives that are never pejorative, but very descriptive. You know, you, you just, you have a great use of adjectives about these various kinds of dogs. And I think it's even to me who immerses herself in in all things dog and and also cat all the time, there was a lot of eye openers about the idea that these dogs, each of these kinds of dogs, not only as individuals, because there are many different borzois, not all borzois Mm -hmm. act the same or Scottish deerhound, but we have to have more realistic expectations. And I Mm -hmm. think that's almost the guiding principle of what makes people Mm -hmm. happy in life, whether it's a marriage, Mm -hmm. a job, a child, or a pet. What is the realistic Mm -hmm. expectation you should have about who that animal will be and how they will fit into your life? Or, oh, hey, wait, how you could make their life more genuine for them, more real, more appropriate. And I felt myself brought to tears a couple of times thinking, wow, that's like rotten. That is like, we all know Border Collies is like the perfect example of a dog not to live in an apartment, a dog not to mm-hmm. live in a stupid suburban life. Well, it's stupid to the Border Collie, so I can use that word. The Border Collie needs, mm-hmm. you know, thousands of acres and flocks of sheep or the equivalent, whether it's ducks or sheep or something to do its job. It feel really bad for them because it's really, as you say, in the dog's truth, lots of square pegs, round holes and we mm-hmm. keep trying to shove them in there. I, I think that there are a lot of professional dog trainers. You have already more than a thousand who've become family dog mediator, which is your word for dog trainer. I love the word. It's great. It's like, mm. how do you mediate between these two species? <laughs> They're trying all day long to try and understand us and this life we want to give them. We don't really mm-hmm. try very hard. We see dogs as the dog, the pet. As you say, mm-hmm. you don't even like the word pet, do you? 
No, I mean, it's it's not that it's not true, because, right, we've definitely made them pets. So it's not that it's inaccurate. I think you hit the nail on the head a moment ago talking about expectations. And I begin and end the book that way for a reason, you know, is because just like you said, if we go into any relationship with any being, be it human or animal, with expectations that are just left field for what they can bring to the table, yes, then we're starting in failure. You know, yes. and, and that's so unfair to a person. It's so unfair to a dog. It's so unfair to an animal living in captivity in a zoo to say, well, come on, polar bear. Why can't you hack it in the tropical enclosure? Like, what's your problem? <laughs> Get on board here. You know, it's like, well, look, I give you now. some let's, fish. Enjoy. Right. Right. Let's, let's, they may be tropical fish, but it's fine. But it's, <laughs> it doesn't actually work for them because of these cornerstone concepts that are yes. true for all species of a phenotype, a niche to a habitat. And we just act like none of this applies to dogs. And, you know, it's interesting. We're getting some heat in the industry, all of which has been expected. And, all, you know, we're quite experienced with it from the last decade or so of putting this stuff out there for why are you talking so much about genetics? And it's like, well, a couple of reasons, right? One is nobody has been and somebody needs to. And and really, if we're going to talk about loving our dogs, if we're going to talk about being kind to them and compassionate, and we say we have an interest in their welfare, we understand from all other species that the starting point of the provision for that welfare is a habitat that actually resembles their natural habitat and has what's called the affordances for them to express natural behaviors and be what they're biologically designed to be. So we kind of can't really dig into the meat of the other stuff if we don't talk about that square peg in a round hole, mm -hmm. key to a lock issue mm -hmm. first. It's not that it's more important. It's just that it's it, it's kind of the step one, which is it's well, the foundation. Is it? Yes, it's the foundation. Right. And then all of the other things have their equal weight as they come into that animal's life experience. But if we're wrong from the step one, if our expectations are off, if we're trying to say, hey, look, you're a pet and we define them by their purpose for us mm -hmm. to bring us joy and comfort and fun and exercise or whatever else we visualize. And we're not coming to, to have a reality check with, well, wait a minute, who are they? What mm -hmm. is the complexity of their beingness? And how do we have to meet that halfway? And that's why we like that mediation model. Then we're not being authentic. We're not being fair. Um, and our expectations are going to be off. And we're going to experience the behavior problems that, frankly, are symptomatic of a dysfunction between the environment and the genetics. Behavior problems are exhibitive of that. That's a really good point. And you use the word umwelt in the video, mm -hmm. which is a word that I had not really heard until Alexander Horowitz uses it in mm -hmm. a couple of her books. And people are very mm -hmm. like into, oh, Alexander Horowitz's books are great. I get it. The dog's nose and we can really understand it deeply, how that's it affects their experience of the world, because that doesn't make us bad owners. That doesn't right. make us selfish. It doesn't make us mindless, which we are with a lot of our dogs, because it isn't Sadly, just their nose, people. It's where they right. want to sleep and how they want to sleep and what do they want to do in their waking hours. And is a plastic puzzle with some food bits in it going to like fulfill it? Well, it's sure better than nothing. But have you really understood that it's not just a way to kind of keep the, the two-year-old busy by giving them an iPhone, which you see people doing? Is that really right. going to make make that a good human later? Is that going to, you know, you prepare know, your, them for the point, human world? Your point is really, really good. And um, it's interesting because I think a lot of the things that we're really trying to do through enrichment, through a lot of great intentions are, are like, okay, great in comparison to nothing. Yes. But 
it, but they're so far off the mark for our kids and for our dogs, right? So, um, you know, uh, it's one of the reasons we're so happy that we're now partnering with SniffSpot is because SniffSpot is a meaningful new solution in the modern age, Airbnb for rentable private dog yards, right? And, and um, whole acres and pastures and forests oh, cool. where you can go let your dog run free. Oh, it's amazing. Um, that is a actual tangible, meaningful solution, like above so many other things that is going to have a more profound benefit because we have to put them back in their element, not say, well, this will kind of you know, take enough of a, an edge off right. to help you. Just to make today. them more manageable when the Prozac right. doesn't work. You know, b- before right. we run out of time, I just want to say that while it focuses on on groups of purebred dogs and people that have mutts or crossbred dogs, I don't mean designer crossbred like, you know, mm-hmm. the Labradoodle. I mean, once they've gotten from a shelter with no known background, you mm-hmm. know, by looking at them, probably what their mixture is. You can do the DNA thing, which myself experienced with various months I've had, didn't tell me anything, me personally. Some people like it. I know you think the DNA test can be okay, but I think it's more important to understand you talk about the world dog and we don't have much time left, but for anyone who thinks, oh, this is snobby, it's just about purebred dogs. First of all, people are buying purebred dogs all the time because they like the look of a dog. It reminds them of their childhood. Everybody who's rescuing from shelters is often getting a purebred dog too. A third of the dogs in there are discarded Mm -hmm. because people didn't understand what the dog's truth would have told them had they seen Mm -hmm. it. But the world dog is fascinating when you bring it up. It isn't just uh, various mutts, like random crossbreds from, let's say, Georgia or Mississippi. It's the dogs being brought in from abroad who are Mm -hmm. scavenger dogs who live in the street. Mm -hmm. I know someone that a dog was brought in from Egypt and they're trying to get that dog to live with them. And that dog was like living around the pyramids. They're asking probably more of that dog than that dog can possibly do. And your empathy in the dog's truth to the stressors for a dog who could live free and independently being asked to live in confinement Mm. that close with people with everything being managed for them and then not being able to make any independent decisions, which is what, how they survived. It's a great point. And, and even if, you know, it didn't affect anybody's dog right now watching it. It gives you so much a depth of understanding and compassion for where these dogs came from, whether it's in their genes or in their early life or in the home that they had or the home they never had. It's it's mm-hmm. marvelous, Kim. It really mm-hmm. forces people to stop and think, ooh, they're not all just one thing, dogs. There's so many yeah. things. And making the right relationship with the one you have or choosing one that has the best chance of success with you is vitally important. It is. It's really important. And, you know, it's just we need to evolve, right, the conversation. Yes. And that's what all yes. this is about. It's the that's beginning right. of a conversation. It's not the end. Yes. Um, and that's why we're, we're just really hopeful that more people will find out what the conversation is about and participate in it, whether they take the course themselves or they attend one of the free public events um, that our family dog mediators will be having around the world to show the, the dog's truth course. Um, and, you know, they can have an opportunity to ask questions there. But, you know, we, we, we need to evolve. We are a culture of dog lovers. Clearly, we'll continue to invest in them in so many ways. But we need to put the right step first 
which is recognizing that they are biological animals and they are struggling in the 21st century. Definitely. And we're struggling with them and we think the fault yeah. is either theirs or ours. It's simply about not understanding what is ignorance. It's pure ignorance. Mm. It's not understanding who that individual is based on them as an individual. And as you point out with your wonderful system of legs, where they came from and what they're pre-programmed to be and to do. Um, I think it's terrific. I think that if people are looking for a dog trainer, and boy, there's so many mediocre ones out there, and I'm saying that word very politely, expensive, costly, useless, and often just misguided, familydogmediation.com has a directory of everyone who's taken the course to think differently about dogs. And the in, licensed members, anyway. The, the licensed yeah. ones. And then yeah. they may be showing the dog's truth in the community as a way for people to understand a new way of thinking and maybe become clients. We've run out of yeah. time, Kim Brophy. What you're doing is great. And as you said, we must continue the conversation. It's really interesting, and everybody needs to be part of it. Thank you for what you're doing to disrupt the current ideas and help us all to be better dog owners and better people. Thank you. This show is supported by Earth Animal, privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creating holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. This show is also sponsored by the two women who privately own Evermore Pet Food, where they cook dog food from human edible ingredients shipped in frozen pouches directly to people's doors. So here's something really cool happening in America. People are all pitching in to help buy canine cops for police departments, these amazing dogs that for years have come from Eastern Europe at, I don't know, fifty or $60,000 a dog. The AKC Reunite, which is a chip and reuniting program that's an affiliate of the AKC, has been spearheading what has turned into an incredibly successful public and private donation program. Tom Sharp is the head of AKC Reunite and Reunite. And Tom, you gotta be pretty proud starting with one dog and now 150 dogs and tons of money that you have done matching grants for so that the US police departments can get some of these amazing detection and search and rescue dogs. Yes, absolutely, Tracy. And and first thanks for having me on the show. Um, and and giving us the opportunity to talk about this great program. So AKC Reunite matches grants from AKC dog clubs around the country. If the dog club comes up with $2,500, then we will match that three to one with um, wow. $7,500 to get, get to 10,000, which is um, usually enough for a, for a department to get, um, a, a, a young, what they call a green dog mm-hmm. that still needs some training, but, but, um, is a, is a really healthy, you know, already pre-trained dog, um, that, that they can add to their program. So let's talk about that price point, because that's the part that is so interesting to me that for years, the U S military, as well as U.S. police departments who sometimes share some of these dogs. In other words, they don't work in one position or the other, and then you guys share it with each other, as I understand it. But they've been buying for years from a lot from Eastern Europe dogs that were costing a, a king's ransom. And the dogs were, like you say, green dogs. They were maybe a year and a half old. They knew a few commands in 
some foreign language often, but they hadn't been in the field and they had to be paired with officers and, and learn what that police department or what that military uh, division needed. Why were they so expensive if you're able to, if breeders and then trainers in America can offer a dog for 10000 which still sounds like a lot to many of us, but nonetheless, it's it's a heck of a lot less than the Eastern Europeans or others were getting importing these dogs. Right. Uh, that's a good question. I, I'm not terribly familiar with that higher um, number that you, you were talking about. And it may be a difference between the, the um, dogs that the federal government buys, which we typically don't work with. We just work with police departments. Um, so it, it may be a function of, of um, the federal process and what they're looking for versus what the police departments use. But we, we generally, um, we, we don't buy the dogs ourselves. The police department right. does. We just put right. up the grant money. And generally we hear that they can get a dog for between eight to, um, 12, 15,000. Um, often they can find one or around that $10,000 price point that our, our, our grants, you know, give them everything they need for that. And of course, that's just the beginning of the cost, right? They, Correct. they need a vehicle, yep. they need a handler, they need training, they need boarding, um, veterinary care, yep. all, of, all of that. But the grant really does help them get started on that road to either replace a dog or add a dog um, to their canine units. Well, I th my guess is that the difference is greed. I'm just going to put it out there. If you can get fifty thousand for a dog, right? Because then you get then you get fifty thousand yeah, is what the market will bear. I know that University of Pennsylvania they've been they've had the U of U of Penn working dog project for a long time, breeding and looking at at the very serious breeding of dogs who will turn out to be really great working dogs. Of course, first there's the physical. Are they going to hold up for many hours in the field? And in the case of a of canine cop jumping in and out of a vehicle as well as, you know, doing long hours often on a search and rescue mission. But so that's physical, but then there's the mental. How stable are they? How responsive are they? How how good are they at their job of being this super dog, which is what these dogs are? What's interesting Absolutely. is, and you may not know the answer to this, is that it's AKC member clubs. So let's say German Short-Haired Pointer Club or German Shepherd Dog or Belgian Malinois. Or do you know which which of the breed clubs are raising this money? Because I thought they were somehow also helping supply dogs, but that may not be the case. Yeah, with, with this program, it's actually typically a local um, dog club. For instance, we're in the Raleigh, North Carolina area, and the Cary Kennel Club carries a, a town here in our county. Um, the Cary Kennel Club um, donated uh, so that the town of Cary and another town nearby can add um, dogs to their force. So rather than, the like you say, the German Shepherd Dog Club of America or the German Shorter right. Corner Club of America, it's, it's usually a, a local kennel club. And the other group that um, has been involved in a lot of these is the United States um, – Police Canine Association, yes. the USPCA, mm -hmm. they actually joined, they started the process of becoming an AKC club last year. Oh, I'll be darned. Um, and yeah, so they, it's a great partnership between USPCA and the American Kennel Club and Reunite and USPCA, you know, they put on the, the trials for um, 
police dogs and and detection dogs. So where are those held, we, Tom? We we actually had one in Raleigh just this past November. Um, I think it was the AKC Detection Dog Challenge. Wow. Um, and it was really, really neat. They did it at PNC Arena, which is where um, NC State basketball and the no Carolina Hurricanes hockey film. Yeah, and they went, they went in when it was empty for a few days, and they brought in vehicles, and then, you know, they, they, they put either bombs or narcotics on the vehicles and had the dogs search the vehicles, and then they also did a – backpack search in the stands no kidding um, and it was I got, I got to watch some of the searches and i tell you it's just amazing seeing the dogs uh work the way they do that would be such an incredible inspiration to people i know the public is also participating the u.s police canine association as i understand it has been the top participant in the adopt a canine cop program of course they're the most they have the most vested interests because it's the whole country and there's so many towns and cities that either don't have a dog or need more dogs but to see them work really gives you chills right i mean the idea that these dogs are so specific and so purpose-driven and yet so responsive to communicating with their handler it's really the, the ultimate human canine bond because the dog is working on his or her own, but also constantly referring back information to the handler. It's kind of it's kind of a beautiful ballet, isn't it? It really is. Yes. So it's, I hope that I, I hope that somehow they filmed that. Can people see? Every, you can see everything in the world on YouTube, right? How to how to build a log cabin. You should be able to see the trials of these dogs and there was there were winners like they were the quickest ones to find the bomb or was it simply a display yes. oh no it was it was a competition wow um with with uh handlers and their dogs from all over the country and um they they had winners and losers and <laughs> um it, it was really amazing i it i think that it might have actually um, been broadcast on ESPN, a, a summary version of it. Right. Um, yeah, I'm sure, you, like you said, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. It was the um, American Kennel Club Detection Dog Challenge. Detection Dog Challenge. I'm going to find um, yep. a link to it and, and put a link with the podcast because I think what people need yeah. or what further inspiration is to understand that these dogs are bred to work. Um Often yes. in, in some some jobs, you know, as service animals, sometimes they can be rehomed from shelters or repurposed from other uh, service dog organizations. But mostly they're purpose bred. And you can see that it's really in their genes. It's in their mental, intellectual, emotional wiring to do a job. And they really love doing it. And I guess that's one of the joys is to see a dog with a, a purpose in life. We don't we don't get to see that much in our private lives. You know, their purpose is to love us back or love us first, right? Right. Kind of kind of nice to see these animals performing. Are most of them German Shepherd dogs in America? I think that's one of the, the main well, police you, dog. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Um, a lot of departments are getting Labradors now. Great. And they... Uh, you know, they can be more approachable for the public. That's right. And um, they just have a, a great drive and incredible noses. Um, they're very trainable. Yep. Uh, so there are a lot of, you know, 
black and yellow and chocolate labs that you see. Um, certainly you see the German Shepherd Dogs, um, Belgian Malinois, um, and and other Belgian Sheepdogs. Yes. And um, uh, some uh, German Shorthair Pointers, like you I've, mentioned. Yeah, I've heard that they've, they're, they've turned into the, the rock stars of detection work, which is just interesting. You always think, well, why them and why not a, I don't know, you know, a Weimaran or a Visla? I mean, there's reason for all these things, but... It's obviously trial and error, the the breeds of dogs or a line of a breed that it really works out. I guess the thing it works out doing those jobs, wanting to do them and, and being brilliant at it. I guess one thing to understand is the difference between a breed club, which all the, you know, hundreds of breeds have a club and members belong to it who are very serious about breeding in a responsible, healthy way. But then there are kennel clubs, like the Westminster Kennel Club puts on the Westminster Dog Show. So do, can you explain about kennel clubs? That's a, an organization in a town or a city that sure. puts on so, shows? Yes. So um, AKC is actually a club of clubs. When you say the American Kennel Club, it is a club right. made up of all these dog clubs around the country. And as you mentioned, every breed has its own what we call parent club. So the German Shepherd Dog Club of America and right. the Labrador Retriever Club. And they're a national organization that puts on usually one um, national specialty per year that brings in members of the breed from all over the country to compete. But then there are the local kennel clubs all over the country, um, and they – they have an area that's designated as their area and they put on uh, one or two or three or four dog shows per year in the area. Um, and that's where people, you know, can bring uh, all their dogs of the right. different breeds and they compete for best in show. Um, or agility, right? There's you, also or, sometimes yes, agility. There's agility clubs. Yep. And obedience clubs. Yep. And then there's a whole range of um, what they call performance event clubs um, for things like um, retriever field trials or um, coon hunts for coon hounds. And they go out and they compete at doing what the breed was, um, you know, designed to yes. do that, that performance, that, that working activity. Um, and, and there are thousands of these clubs around the country. And one of the amazing things about it is, they're all not-for-profit clubs made up of volunteers, yes. you know, who just, this is their passion and they love it and they do it for the dogs. And they, like you were talking about, um, how inspiring it is to see one of these detection dogs with their handler working. Well, you go to a, um, any dog show, obedience trial, agility trial, um, or these performance events, and you get to see these dogs um, doing what they love, you know, with their owner with their handler with the person that they love right. it's, it's it's great it's, to see that bond and and i guess could inspire more people to to try it i mean it's it's not yeah. it doesn't have to all the performance ones are any breed and it's usually by size but even the breed the breed shows like you you know you have the poodle club of america show all the poodles from all over america come together and compete yeah. against each other how cool is that i mean it's really, oh, it's, it's really passion sort of reduced into a, into an even more fragrant sauce. And I think that 
that more people might enjoy getting involved in the just either watching or being involved in one way or another. I, I think it's it's really great that that it that they then are reaching outside of their personal passion, which someone could say, well, it's somewhat frivolous. And, and, but of course, it's feeding a passion for something they love and certainly keeping them out of other trouble. But the people, not the dogs, maybe the dogs, too. Who knows? Right. But <laughs> the the, dogs do. yeah, yeah, but the idea that you could help a town get a canine cop in addition to this other adoration you have of dogs and fascination it's just a wonderful combination the practical with the the delightful you know however you want to look at what people do when they when they show dogs or when they compete dogs for fun these dogs are saving lives i mean the the bomb detection part's really important terrorism turns out is the whole reason that we have homeland security i mean they're not really paying much even the fbi they're concerned about terrorism and bombs is one of the main things they're on the lookout for, and the dogs are the ones who find it. I mean, no one else can do it. So it's pretty important, as many of these canines as we can get out in the streets or even in the stands at a sports event, the safer we all are. And they're really the the nose and and eyes and ears for those human departments that, that need their expertise that they were born with. And then it gets trained even more, more finely. And I think what you're doing with the Adopt a Canine Cop program is amazing. You've raised more than a million dollars, got already 150 grants and counting. So it's great. I, I hope that people will go to the AKC Reunite Adopt a Canine Cop program online and learn more about it and figure out how you or your breed club or your kennel club can can reach out or reach out to your U.S. Police and Canine Association members in your community and Ask them how you can help, right? I mean, that's what we all want to do, be, be part of the solution. Yep. It's great what you're doing, you, Tom. Thank you so much, Tracy. And if, if viewers go to our website, akcreunite.org, there's a link very near the top Perfect. for the Adopt a Canine Cop easy to program. Find. And you can go very easy, and you can see pictures of dogs um, that, that, that the departments have, have purchased using the, the grant funds. It's, it's really cool. It certainly is. Thank you for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the guests as much as I did. Kiss your kitties and hug your pooches, and we will talk again next week. Bye for now.